Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, good evening. We'll go ahead and, and uh, jump in tonight. Glad to be back with you guys. Great trip to Ireland, but uh, as much as I love Ireland, I really love being home. So it was a fantastic trip. Just kind of in a, in a nutshell, what we were doing is we've just opened, uh, I work for a company here, uh, not-for-profit called Christ in Youth. We do events all over the nation, uh, you know, for students. A lot of your kids have gone and mix or move or believe or superstar, things like that. Uh, we just opened up offices in Dublin this year, and we are trying to move into all of Europe. And so God has led us into to really start in Dublin for some reason. Uh, I don't understand it all, but there's no doubt of, of his leading and his guiding to get us there. And so this was, as far as anybody could tell, and I'm sure it's just it's, it's a small group, uh, but if you know anything, everyone in this room, you're all my age or older, uh, you know, for me growing up, you know, we, you know, my kids watch on the news about Syria or they watch about Afghanistan and Iraq. For me growing up, you know, it was watching what was going on and just all the bombing going on in Belfast and just all the things happening constantly, the IRA and all the things happening, you know, the, you know, you know, Red Hand of Ulster, just all the different things were happening for me growing up in that, in that area of, you know, the 80s of just remembering late 70s, 80s, all that kind of stuff was going on. So it's always been fascinating for me to, to fly back. Um, now that's all Northern Ireland, and most of you guys, you know, understand geography. Northern Ireland and Ireland are absolutely two totally different countries. They're on the same island, but they different governments, different countries. One's a part of Britain. One's completely independent. So we were down in actually the Republic of Ireland, and uh, it was it was pretty fascinating. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, we were we brought some Protestants and Catholics together uh, to talk about you know most importantly about Jesus, uh, but to really dialogue about the state of youth in Ireland. And it was just a beautiful thing because most of these people were saying, man, I've, I've never actually, you know, a Protestant was saying, I've, I've never actually had a conversation really with a Catholic that's been like healthy and God honoring, you know. And then we even had some people from the north come down. And so for people from the north to come down to the Republic, uh, both Protestants and Catholics, and sit in a room and have a conversation, it was, it was actually pretty powerful in terms of just reconciliation and good things taking place. And so we were able to be a fly on the wall. We didn't, I didn't get up and say anything until the very end, just... Thank them for coming, but uh, it was amazing watching a guy from Northern Ireland, two people of the Republic, lead this thing, and uh, it was just it was beautiful. It was of Jesus. So uh, I'm glad to be back. So I'm uh, assuming that uh, I'd asked uh, who talked for you guys last week. Was it Chad? Oh, Elijah. Elijah. That fits the name. My goodness, he just talked about himself the whole time, didn't he? Life Elijah. I was born. You know, uh, no Elijah. That's fantastic. Uh, one of the things I'd hoped that he would do is kind of walk through a bit of a reset and talk about why Elijah shows up so much in the New Testament and just kind of unpack some of that. I know there are a lot of people gone because I think the parade was going on and lots of things. Um, So we're going to jump into it tonight, but we're going to start with a question, all right? Bit of a fun question. Feel free to connect with other tables if you want to. Uh, And I'm going to make it... uh, You can use a Bible answer if you would like to. Uh, It's fine. But I'm, I'm also looking forward to hearing some that are not just straight from the Bible. Your favorite underdog of all time. Either under, under, it could be an underdog like character or somebody from a movie, or maybe it's a movie about underdogs. I want to know who is your favorite underdog or your favorite underdog type movie of all time. All right? Go ahead, talk about that. 
Okay, so we're going to get some votes here. We can all agree. Kind of work way around. What were some favorite underdogs? Characters, movies, what did you guys have? We had uh, The American Revolution. And, okay, uh, that's a good one. Like, I love that. Honestly, I was, I was not ready for that. First time I was going to a movie, I was like, no, that's actually, that, that took place. The American Revolution. That counts as a great underdog story. All right. And then, like, underdog. Like, oh, like the actual cartoon character underdog. Okay. <laughs> Most people have no idea. I totally remember that. How about William Wallace? William Wallace, that's a great one. That's a great one. Favorite underdogs? Rudy. Rudy, great movie. Great movie. Any others come up here? Barney Five. (laughs) Barney Five. I love that one. Who'd you guys have? You mentioned uh, Sandlot. Oh, that's a great movie, Sandlot. It's a great one. Do you guys have any over here? Barney Five. Five. Anybody else? We have Samson. Samson, that's a great underdog. Any underdogs from over here? Rudy. Rudy? Yeah. All right. I was thinking of, did you ever, did you ever come up with one? No. no okay. Uh, for me, I love Hoosiers. Just absolutely love that. Uh, my favorite underdog story, and I'm going to, I've told this story before, uh, but I'll tell, it, I'll tell it briefly now because it fits. And, and some of you guys have been in class with it. You've heard me tell this story. Uh, it's it's a bit long, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna cut it down because of time and, and tell a little bit more succinctly. Uh, when I was a youth minister in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, I was uh, you know loved, loved the church I was working for. I worked for a guy named Dick Williams. He was a wonderful man to work for. And uh, there's a moment, and actually this probably would have been after Dick was gone. I was getting ready to transition to another ministry. Um, but anyway, long story short. Uh, I, I, for a little extra money, I decided I would teach at this Christian, like this Christian school, kind of like some like college high, not not nearly as probably wasn't even as big as that. Taught at this little Christian school called Wright Christian Academy, you know, in uh, up in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I would go in, I would teach a Bible class every morning, which for me, like, and I'm not trying to be mean, but that's like giving a fat kid candy. Let me teach Bible. I'm just like that's just playtime. Mm-hmm. And they're like, teach whatever you want, just teach Bible. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no, whatever you want to teach, just. It's for seniors. You walk in every day. Actually, like four days a week, I'd walk in. I'd have an hour just to talk from the Bible. And I, because a lot of those kids went to church I was a youth pastor at, I'd always see students that I knew. And some of the kids would be in my, my senior Bible class. I'd have them on Wednesday night type stuff. And uh, absolutely loved it. I don't think I was there four days a week. It was less than that. I don't, I don't know how many days I was there. But when I would go in and I'd teach. And, uh, and I honestly don't really recall what it was I was teaching. It's probably something in the Old Testament because I love Old Testament. But I walked in on this day, and no one would pay attention. No one. I mean, completely dismissive. Like, I can usually get control of a crowd, and like, I've got a loud voice, so I can kind of, hey, 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 listen up, let's go, let's go. I was trying all that stuff, and they're completely blowing me off. Like, this whole class, like, I cannot get them to stop talking. And there's only like 20 of them. There's not like there's a ton. No, like, and I, like, I know these guys. And finally, I'm like, hey! Come on, knock it off, guys. Like, they're seniors. I'm getting a little bit irritated because, I mean, again, I knew a lot of them. And finally, they're like, they kind of shake it off. They turn. They, you know, they start talking, you know. And, and I, the whole time I'm talking, they're, like, completely distracted. And finally, I just said, time out. What is going on here? And they're like, you don't, you haven't heard. It's like, I heard what? No, I just, I come in here one hour a day. Like, no, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Long story short, and I'm not going to get into the names and stuff because it's all being recorded, uh, but they had a, a coach uh, that had had some, some pretty major indiscretions, uh, and he was a baseball coach. And, uh, 
you know, anyway, the, the, the accusations against him had to do with his inappropriate behavior uh, with some female minors uh, at the school. And uh, you can probably let your mind drift into what was going on there. And I'm like, it's so a whole school, small Christian school. They were just blown away by this. I mean, they're just rocked. And so it's, you know, it's just not a big school. So it's just, it is the gossip of the day. And I think this happened overnight or at the late in the afternoon. So they're all coming in, finding out about it. And the gossip, it's just swirling. So finally, I'm like, hey, hey, listen up. We're done here. We don't need to talk about this. We're not going to talk about this coach. We're not going to talk about this issue. Knock it off. Let's take, let's take just a moment. Let's settle our hearts, settle our minds. Let's pray about this for a second. And then let's get back to work. We got, we got class. So we did that. We kind of did a hard reset, got them all back, taught the class, and I walk out. I finished class, throw some in my backpack, zip my backpack, and I'm out. And as I'm walking down the hall, I look and I see the athletic director. Uh, and so it's spring. So in this little school, they've got, you know, I think soccer's going on right now. I don't know if they had track and field or what else they had, but had a few different sports going on. And baseball's going on uh, as a spring sport. And so we're sitting there, and I, I see the athletic director, and I can't even recall the guy's name right now. I, I don't even remember it. But he's probably, I don't know, from, from me to those blue dividers, probably 20 feet away, kind of walking away. And I just felt compelled because it was just he and I in that hallway. He, he hadn't even noticed me. And all of a sudden, he turns the corner, and I go, hey. And I said, man, so sorry for what you're going through right now. I said, I just heard about it. I said, my heart goes out to you. You know, I said, man, just, you know, if anything they can do, just let me know. And, uh, you know, I did one of those. You know, like, hey, if anything they can do, you know, let me know. And I turned to walk away. And I truly meant let me walk away, not how can I help. Uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I was just, it, I was not sincere. It was just, you know, you, you kind of say that sometimes, but you don't really actually mean it. It was one of those. I'm just I'm not even lying about it. It's like, I, he goes, as a matter of fact, I'm like, oh, crud. I just kind of turned back around. I'm like, yeah, what do you, what do you need? Uh, he goes, hey, man, I am just drowning right now. Uh, we got so much going on. He said, uh, can you go to their practice today and just show up? You don't need to do anything. Just show up. He says, I, this guy, he's not been to practice in, in a long time. Just If you could just go to their practice today and just be there. I, I just need an adult there. I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I showed up at practice, and it's everything you would see like in a TV you know, show Guys, you know, one guy's there, his girlfriend's there, the others are there, they're playing catch. Most of them aren't even dressed out to play. I don't know how long it's been since this coach actually showed up. Uh, I literally don't know. I don't know if it's been like two or three practices or two or three weeks. But they're kind of like just, they're there. There's no one, no one's been coaching him. He's not been, been showing up. And so I kind of get out of the car and I'm trying to talk to him and visit with him a little bit and like, hey guys, so sorry, man. You know, da 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 da, and uh, you know, go back to teach the next day. He's like, "Hey, man, could you go back to practice again?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I I can do that." He says, "In fact, can you do me a favor?" He says, "On Friday they got a tournament over in Claremore. Can you go to that tournament?" I'm like, "No," is what I'm thinking in my head. No, no. Like my history, I love baseball growing up, but I was like, I was terrible, terrible at baseball, and I know why. It's because, like, here's the, I could not for the life of me understand how people could hit that ball. That made no sense to me at all. Like, my brain could not comprehend it. Because I would kind of see this blob on a pitcher's mound, and all of a sudden I hear smack, and I'm like, <laughs> so for me, it was a guess. I had no idea. I would tell my mom, like, when I would sit in classroom, like, my eyes are so bad, I can't read the big E on the chart. That's how bad my No, literally. I can't see the big E. I can't tell you which way it's pointing. And so I didn't understand, growing up in youth baseball, how these guys could see the ball. Like, for me, catching the ball was self-defense. Like, somebody would throw it at me, and I'm like, whoa, there it is, man. Wow. Whoo. 
It's like, I didn't realize, that, like when I finally got glasses, I was like, what in the world? Look at this place. This is amazing. But to be absolutely like blind as a bat trying to play baseball just doesn't work. I still remember one moment in the outfield, everybody turned and looking at me and I'm like, I don't know where it is. I know I can feel people looking at me. I can, it's almost like time stood still. I can, it felt like the stands were looking. Every player's looking at me, and I'm like, I got nothing, man. And I remember the last minute going, I caught it right before he hit me right in the face. Like I just couldn't see. So I was bad at baseball because I, I had no vision. So I didn't. I mean, I grew up playing. I was a kid, but then eventually, I just by the time I got to like fourth and fifth grade, I was I was done. Um, so I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll go to practice. So I show up to practice, and, you know, I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to hit some infield. It's like, whiff. I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> whiff. I missed the ball again. I look at the catcher and go, hit infield, you know. So he hits infield for practice. We have a good time. And uh, I mean, I love sports. I do love it. But it, just baseball just wasn't my thing. I just didn't, didn't grow up playing. And so we go on. And I, I end up going to this little tournament they've got, and I show up in a pair of khaki shorts and sandals like you know, like this, basically, and a t-shirt. And you know, the umpire walks in, he goes, "Hey, I need your lineup." I'm like, "Lineup, boys!" <laughs> I'm like, "I don't have a lineup, man." I'm like, "Guys, I don't care where you hit. Just sign yourselves up, play where you want to play." Like, I mean, but here's the deal, though. I I don't know much about baseball, but I'm highly competitive. Like, I hate to lose. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating sunflower seeds and I'm watching this, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just a chaperone at that point for the game. I'm not, I'm not actually coaching by any means whatsoever, but I'm, I'm present. I'm the adult in charge type thing. So yeah, they just get run ruled. They get hammered. They're done. And I think, good, I'm done. I don't have to do any more of this. Next thing, he's going, hey man, we go through Monday, I show up. He's like, hey man, we got another game this week. I still haven't found anybody to coach. Can you, you know, you've been to two practices now. You, you've been to one of their tournaments. they got to play Holland Hall. Now, some of you guys aren't familiar with Tulsa, Oklahoma. Holland Hall is like a whole different level of private school. I mean, these kids are pulling in in some of the nicest cars. I mean, that school is so beautiful, so nice. I'm like, oh, great. i got to take the kids you know, from you know, East Tulsa in to go play Holland Hall. It's like, oh, my word, this is going to be horrible. I'm like, yeah, I'll take them. So we go there, and I watch these two guys come out, and they're, you know, they're grown men dressed in uniforms, which I never understood about baseball. That doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine that? Like, if, you, if I was to you know, turn on the TV this weekend and watch some college coach come out, you know, shoulder pads and a helmet. You don't do that in any other sport. You don't see basketball coaches wearing jerseys and shorts. I've never understood why a baseball coach decides he wants to dress like the players. I'm like, you're not getting in, man. You're old and you're fat. You're not playing. You're not playing. Imagine a wrestling coach showing up in a singlet. Like, here we go. Let's do that. I mean, it just, it just that sport doesn't make sense. <laughs> that coach thinks, anyway. So I watch these guys walk out in their uniforms. I'm like, you're fat and old and can't run, but you get a uniform. That's great. I got shorts and t-shirt. And we just get slaughtered. I mean, I mean, it's so bad. So bad. And now by this time, I'm starting to get irritated with these kids. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting mad at how poorly they're playing. Anyway, this thing just keeps going on. And we're going through this game with Holland Hall. And I think they had concessions and like they had actual fans that showed up. It was really, it was pretty neat. A beautiful field, like landscaped and gorgeous. And like you know, these guys literally practice at like a public park rec field. That was where they practiced. And it wasn't even, in fact, I don't think it was a park. I think it was a church that put up a backstop is where they practiced. It was like a terrible field. And then I walk into Holland Hall and I'm like, good night. This is like the minor leagues, man. This is gorgeous. So we get in this game, and they're run ruled, and now it's time to just call the game type thing. And, uh, you know, the umpire calls me out, and I'm just, right now, I can feel my blood boiling. 
And my guys go in the, you know, in the dugout. They start taking their shoes off and, you know, packing their bags. And I walk up and I meet the, I meet the other coach, you know, home plate. And I just came and look at him. I'm just shaking. I mean, my hands are just sweating. And the umpire goes, hey, man, I, you know, this is the game. I remember looking at the coach. I said, hey. I said, uh, get dinner plans tonight. He's like, no, what, do you, what do you mean? Okay, you got some place you got to be. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you guys are so much better than us. Do you have some place you need to be? I said, because I think my boys need some practice. And I said, and I'm ticked right now. You mind having your boys put a bit more of a whooping on my boys? I said, they got lessons to learn. And I said, do you want some batting practice? I said, because my boys evidently need to learn how to field. And he goes, I said, do you mind if we teach them a little bit less? And he goes, dinner's not till six. Let's go. <laughs> and I was like, let's go. And so we walked back out there and I looked at all the boys in the dugout and I go, get your cleats on now. You are not done. You pick up your gloves, you put in your cleats. If you don't have your cleats on, you're not on that field. I'll cut you from this team right now, which I did not have permission to do, by the way. I'm not the coach. I'm just mad at this point. And I mean, I'm, they are ticked at me. It's like, I don't care if you're ticked. You guys are playing terrible. Get your butts back out on the field. We're not done now. All right, get on the field now. Sweet man, they just got hammered. They never scored. It never got better. Yeah. So we, we kind of keep going through this practice game type thing. And it's really about toward the end of the season. And they've not won. I'm catching them toward the tail end of everything. They've not won a game all year. Not a single game. They've been run ruled most of the time. And I remember at the very end of it, the coach asked me, he says, hey, man, they, it, it, keep in mind, this is a Christian school thing, okay? Small Christian schools in Oklahoma, and they're in the small division of Christian schools. So it wasn't like it was some big powerhouse, you know, you know division they were in. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's, they get, every team, you know, gets a bid to the state playoffs, okay? They're millennials before they knew what millennials were, okay? Because everyone got a, got a free ride to go. Uh, didn't matter what your record was. Hopefully no millennials are listening to this right now because I do love millennials. Um, but it was one of those things where, like, everybody should get to play. And I'm like, no, everyone shouldn't get to play. This team's terrible. But we got to show up. And, you know, we showed up at the game. You know, we went to, we got on the bus, rode to Oklahoma City, and I'm riding with these guys. And, you know, I get up there. We're in Oklahoma City, and I get off the bus, and, and I'm, I'm wanting to win now. Like, I, I now, my adrenaline is kicking in. I mean, I'm watching baseball on TV now. I'm, like, getting very consumed by this. And finally, I remember we were sitting there, and I knew a lot of these kids on the team. They were in my youth group, and they were really gifted athletes. I mean, they really were. These kids were not just... It wasn't just like it was just total bad news bears type things. I knew these kids. I'd had them. Some of these kids I had in youth group since they were sixth graders. I mean, I've known them. Some of these boys had trade travel. They played traveling baseball growing up. I mean, we had players on this team, but they had no direction at all. And I find I was just so frustrated with them. I remember walking on the pitcher's mound, and Jackson's dad. Jackson was our pitcher that game. Jackson's dad was sitting on the stands. Jackson was a senior. I remember walking up to Jackson, and I saw him on the pitcher's mound. I said, "Hey, man." I talked to you. Walked up there and he said, yeah, what's up, Jason? He, Jackson was in my youth group as well, so I knew him really well. I said, don't do this, man. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, Jackson, you've you got to win this game right now, right now, right here. You have to win this game. He's like, there's no way. So Jackson, you see that guy sitting in the stands talking about his dad. I said, how many of your games has he watched since you were a little boy? He's like, all of them. How many years has he taken you? to practice, you know, hitting coaches. How many years, Jackson? How many years has he taken a knee and taken your pitches one after another? How many hours has this man crouched down taking your pitches, Jackson? He's like, I don't know. So, Jackson, this is the last game he will ever watch you in. This is it. 
Give him the best you got. He's like, Jason, it won't matter. These guys, he turned around and looked at they can't play. I said, Jackson, if they can't hit it, it won't matter. I grabbed the ball, I was mad, mitt, and I go, one game, bam. And he goes, all right. He pitched the lights out. We were the last seed playing a high seed. He pitched the lights out. It was unreal. Like nothing I had ever seen. These guys could not hit him for nothing. Some of our guys got hits. We scored a couple of runs. They could not hit Jackson. He dominated every pitch, everything. I mean, it was just unreal pitching clinic this kid put on. And we won the first game of the year in the playoffs as a state championship as a team that had not won a game all year long. Unreal. Unreal. We go to play another game, and we win another one because now these guys have got momentum. We don't have the bus checked out for the next day, okay? They, they had it checked out for, like, you know, boys' soccer or girls' soccer. So we go back home. The coach is like, he's scrambling. Like, we got to get these guys back up there. There's another, they got to play another day. So we get on the bus, and on the way up there, they're talking about indicators. And I'm like, I thought the guys had a rash or something. Like, why are they always touching and grabbing themselves? You know? <laughs> and I was messing a little bit, you know. They're like, Jason, we got to do indicators this time. I'm like, I'm not doing indicators. And so Jackson's dad was there. He's like, hey, come here. Help me coach. He's like, what? I was like, come help me coach. You coach third. I'll stand on first. Do, do all the indicators. And so we kind of did this saying we, we laid out you know this was going to be steel and you know had you know had another one for hit away you know all the different stuff all these different indicators we were we, you know, we were doing it's pretty amazing as we keep going through this they won another game by this time we have parents that have driven up all the way from Tulsa you know I'm, I'm now actually gone to the grocery store about like oranges and peeled them giving them orange slices and fig newtons you know we're like <laughs> massaging the shoulders you know it's like we got momentum right now like we like we are completely fired up and no no joke, we make it all the way to the state final game. These, I'm telling you, these kids were athletes. It's not like they were just jokers. They could play, but they had nothing pulling them together as a team. I remember that game because they came to me, the team came to me and said, Jason, you got to coach third. I'm like, no, I am not coaching third. Jackson's dad goes, he said, yeah, you're coaching third. you got to coach third. You got us this far. You ain't won a game till you showed up. We're, gonna, we're doing this. I'm like, oh, crud. All right, I'm coaching third. Here we go, man. Here we go. So we're sitting there, and uh, and I, I I can't remember what was going on, but if you ever if you ever played sports, you know that moment when you feel it. it's like you can't really define it, but you just feel the momentum shift. It's almost like you could smell something in the air. It's almost like you, there's a sixth sense where you just know. It's not that something outright just happened, but it's almost like a cold front comes over. You know, and you, you don't really know how to define it. You don't know what caused it. You don't even know where it came from. There's just this moment in the game where everything began to shift. And we had that moment in that game. And I think it's probably about the, probably about the fourth inning. And I'm sitting there and I look and I go, we're off. We're off right now. I mean, I'm looking at this thing going, there's something not right in our, in our game right now. I think we had, we had I'm not remember, I think we had like two outs. I'm sitting there and, and I'm watching this thing. We got nobody on and you could just feel the momentum. Like our team stopped believing in themselves. And so I'm sitting there on third and I don't remember how Reagan got on. He was our catcher and he was a big boy. Uh, and not like... Like farm big, you know, not like not like overweight, fat, or like that, but more just like just thick. He's kind of he was our catcher. He's kind of kid that's a catcher. Like you didn't want to steal on him because it was just going to be boom, boom. You know, you, you just going to hit and you're. I mean, he's just that 
He's just a man child. And I remember he, I only remember he was on first base. I remember sitting there on third and feeling this shift come over our team. I remember I stood up and I looked across. And I was sitting on third. I looked over at Reagan. I just went, I gave him the indicator. He looked at me and he goes, <laughs> he shook his head no. Reagan was slow. I mean, like, boom, boom. He was just big, slow Goliath of a boy. I remember I looked across and he goes, uh uh-uh. uh. He's kind of made it look like, nah. And I look across and I go, I gave him that indicator. He's like, no. Just shook his head no. And nobody's really paying attention. This is Reagan and I right now. I don't know the guys in the dugout are doing. Somebody's coming up with the bat. I don't remember who was batting. Jackson's dad, I don't know if he's turning, he was talking to the batter, he's turning, looking at the dugout. I look across at Reagan and I go, I gave him the steel sign. That's what that sign was, a steel sign. He's like, no. All of a sudden, about that time, Jackson's dad turns around and he looks at me, he's like, no. <laughs> no. And I go, he's like, no. All of a sudden, the guys in my dugout, their fingers are going through the chain link. They're like, no, no. And he's like, no. Nope, nope, no. Nope. You can almost feel like the other team going, we don't know what you're asking, but it's a bad idea. Like You can almost see like parents in the stands going, don't do it, don't listen to him. But I finally looked at him and was like, come on, bro, go. He just shook his head no. And I knew at that moment we were done. I knew it, man, we were done. He just, he just put his head down. Just put his head down, put his hands on his knees, and just stared at the dirt. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. It's that moment when you, you know you're called to do something, but you just can't bring yourself to do it. It was that moment in the game. You just feel the shift. And I knew, man, that sometimes a desperate time calls for a desperate measure. I knew we had to do something right then. Right then to shake this thing up. Like, I, I, I knew, man, the odds of us with two outs getting anybody in this inning weren't very good. But, man... If, if I could just get Reagan to believe in himself, we might be able to change the temperature. We might be able to change, like, the whole feel of what's happening right now. Like, if we could get something good out of this inning, rolling into what we had ahead of us, man, maybe we could turn this thing around. But he just, just shook his head and looked down at the ground. Sometimes I wonder how many times the Father in Heaven gives us an indicator. How many times he looks over at us and says, hey, do this. Like, ah, no, I better not say anything. How many times God lays in our heart to actually step out and trust Him and just go for it? And we're like, I don't know, God. Are you really telling me to do that? God, I'm not really sure that's from you. God, I don't really know. I don't know. And He just looks at it and says, man, do you understand how you can change everything right now? If you just go have this one conversation with her, this one conversation with Him, if you would just... I know you're holding on to this money, but if you could take it and just invest it here in this person or this family or this situation, do what you can do. It's interesting. Uh, I love having, having Kenny here, and I can have this conversation, and he, he'll get it. So many times in life, people worry about showing up when people go through hard times. I don't know where Kenny would be, you know, all the stuff you've done in pastoral care. But sometimes I think, I think one of the enemy's biggest tactics is to get us to take our knees and look down. When reality is, sometimes, especially in pastoral care, people just need you to show up. But there's all these excuses we think somebody else will do it, or somebody else has this, this is going to be taken care of. And I say this about two very good friends, we've restored this, uh, and we're in a very good place now, don't take this wrong. But I remember, my wife is fine. 
I remember when she was uh, diagnosed with a type of cancer, I told you guys a story, the bedside manner is terrible. This guy just says, well, I can tell you one of two things. She's going to be just fine or she's going to be dead in six months. And I was just like, bro, like, can we warm up here just a little bit? Like, can I step back? You work on your delivery just, just a little bit, man. Like, that's not how you deliver news to a husband when you got two kids, you know, sit with the grandparents just down the hall. Like, this just isn't how we do it right now. And I'm sitting there like, I'm, I'm, at that moment, man, the, the world for me is just spinning. Just spinning. You know, and he's like, you know, we're 99% sure she's got cancer. I can't tell what kind it is. You know, we start going through the oncologists and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the people here in Joplin are like, we can't tell which kind it is. You know, if it's this kind, she's going to be she's gonna be just fine. If it's this kind, there's, there's absolutely no cure. You know, we're not sure. And I'm like, Phew. So, you know, they send it off to Mayo Clinic. And we wait, like... I don't know how long it was. It was probably at least two, three, four weeks we wait for this letter to come back in the mail. You know, and, and you know, we open it up and they lead. Like, some of the medical community, I love them, but some of them is just, uh, they're, they're so literal. They're like, well, much after, after much debate, discussion, and, uh, and difficulty reaching a conclusive decision, uh, we have come to our best, you know, our best estimate is that it is this kind of, you know, papillary carcinoma. We're like, sweet, you're going to be fine. You know? But it's still within the letter, it's all that stuff of like, we're not really sure. So we're like, well, we'll know in six months. It's kind of the, our attitude. We'll, we'll see where we are in six months. But I still remember those moments of like taking a knee and trying to explain this to my kids and again my wife is just fine they i want to say they diagnosed it right we would say they got they, they were they were correct in their guess um and so you know but i still remember taking a knee and i remember this moment where where i've got two really great friends in my life and i remember sitting there like trying to get my kids ready for school my wife is in this quarantine radiation world. We can't be around her, you know, can't be near her at all. And I kept thinking like, like in my mind, I kept thinking these guys were going to show up any day. I kept thinking they would drop by. I kept thinking, you know, they're going to be available. I kept thinking they're, you know, they'll, they'll be here. But like a day goes by and then two days goes by and then three or four days go by. And like a week goes by and then two weeks go by and then like three and four and five weeks go by and they never really say much other than, Hey, man, I'm praying for you. So finally, I remember I just, I, I finally took one out to breakfast one day, and I said, bro, where were you? Where were you? Like, when I'm going through one of my most difficult times, where were you? Like, you didn't even show up, man. I had another conversation with a friend going, man, I, I'm going to get over the bitterness of it, but you're one of my best friends in the world, man. Where were you? We had a really great, healthy, God-honoring conversation in that. But sometimes, man, I think one of the things the enemy does is he tries to do everything he can to mobilize servants from doing the right thing. Tonight, Elijah, baseball stories. Where in the world is he going with this? Well, go to 1 Kings. Okay? If you've hung on the podcast this long, we're now actually going to get the Bible and not just me telling stories. 1 Kings chapter 18. Tonight, it comes from the life of Elijah. We're going to spend another, a lot of time talking about a different character in Elijah's life, an important character. So let's kick up. Uh, this guy is Obadiah, not the book of Obadiah. Okay, this is Obadiah here. First Kings eighteen it says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. 
few things there. You know, if you've been taking this class with me, I usually can't even get past the first sentence without stopping to talk about it for a long time. Uh, but there's a few things in there. One, Luke alludes to the fact that it was three and a half years. I would not get caught up in whether it's three years or three and a half years. It's just, it's a long period of time, okay? Um, the drought. You know, it's, it's not like we need to narrow it down to the day, okay? We know it was three to three and a half years how this was. And, and I think, honestly, if you want to really read that, after a long time in the third year, I think after a long time is not just the drought, but I think even for Elijah, after a long time, the word of the Lord came. And I would imagine, I don't know what the gap is between, you know, the widow's son dying and this word coming. But here it comes. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and he says, go present yourself to Ahab. Whew, here we go. This is a showdown, man. This is what he's been preparing for. He's already seen Ahab once. The last time he told him there would be no rain until he gave the word. Then he goes off to Cherith, which means cut down and cut off. Then he goes to Zarephath, which is the crucible in the heartland of where Jezebel's from. You know, he's, he's in the crucible there because he's got, you know, this widow who gives her last bit of food for him. You know, he raises her son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, what God does, raise her son back to life. And now it's like, okay, if that wasn't enough, now you're, now you're about to die, Elijah. Elijah doesn't know what's going to happen. We know it because we've read the book. But if you're Elijah hearing this for the first time, it's like, oh, so now you're going to kill me. Now I'm going to die. He's going to Ahab. And he says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. So, uh, you know, they've done, uh, you know, researchers is the right term. I don't, it wouldn't be excavators. I don't know what it would be. Geologists. Uh, what would you call people, somebody that just surveys, just land surveyor? Is there a term for that? What is it that I'm not thinking of? What's the term for that? Somebody goes through and studies a section of land. What do you call that? Surveyor. Surveyor? Okay. They've done surveys of the land, surveys of the air around Mount Carmel, and they found up to 2,000 caves. So when he says he went and hit them in, in a couple of caves, you've got to keep in mind that, man, this, this, is, this would have been difficult to find. Okay? He puts 50 in each cave. Obadiah does. He says, uh, <clears throat> and he, uh, he supplied them with food and water. Now let's slow down real quick. Okay? Um, What's the largest group of people that you personally ever had to provide food for? Like you personally. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.